wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class redneck dude. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is... In all my magnificent, you're gonna be mine all night long. Here's Jonathan Hood. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Again, it's at WrestlingTWT. I am Jonathan Hood. If you're a wrestling fan or if you're a fan of sports entertainment, this is the show for you every Tuesday when it drops right here. So, as I record this on late Tuesday night... August 11th, I will tell you that this has been quite the day for me. It's been a great day for me because um, officially, if you have not heard, I am moving to mornings. You know, if you've been listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood or Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, it's been weeknights, but I am moving to mornings on August 17th with David Kaplan from 7 to 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So I want to get this dropped, and you may get this late Tuesday or sometime Wednesday or a little bit later on, but I have been really busy today with a number of interviews, conference calls, and people that have congratulated me on this move, and I just thank you for making this happen because of your support of what I do uh, weeknights on ESPN 1000. And now it is official. I am moving to Morning Drive from 7 to 10 a.m. Central with David Kaplan. And I'm really, really excited about it. Um, So it's so interesting that I did a poll question. If you follow me on Twitter at WrestlingTWT, I just did a poll question asking, would you want TWT to just be podcast only or the radio show that was airing Tuesday nights at 8.30 on ESPN 1000? And because I'm moving the mornings, this show will be just a podcast. It will not be on ESPN 1000. It will be a podcast. And you can find this podcast for those that don't know, tell people they could find it on ESPN, the ESPN Chicago app, uh, on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, wherever you find your podcast. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hey, you found this podcast. That's what you're listening right now. Uh, but tell people that they could still find Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. It'll be in podcast form every Tuesday or thereabouts. Um, so even though I'm moving to mornings. 
I am not going to ignore you, the wrestling fan. I just want you to know that I will still provide wrestling content for you. And we will do that on this episode of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday as well. But before I even move forward, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your support over the years. Um, A lot of you are listening to this podcast because you remember when I was doing uh, wrestling shows with Lawrence Holmes. We did WrestleManiacs during the Monday Night Wars era. And many of you have encouraged me to still do wrestling conversation. And here I am in 2020, uh, like Teddy Z and Brian and uh, so many others. Josh, who is a f- frequent guest and a participant on this show. Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. You guys can continue to encourage me to provide wrestling conversation. And here I am. <laughs> providing wrestling conversation. So um, the show's not going anywhere. It'll always be on the podcast and just not on the radio show. That's the only difference. Um, as uh, the show I'm doing with David Kaplan, um, more than likely will not have a Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday dynamic to it. It would have been morning drive, but uh, I didn't want to let that go. I could have easily just let it go and say, I'm doing morning drive. I don't need this wrestling stuff anymore. Uh, no, no, we're still going to do it. And so thanks so much for downloading the podcast as always. Tonight's episode of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday is dedicated to the passing of Kamala. Kamala, who just passed passed away, James Harris. According to a Facebook post by his handler, James Harris, known as Kamala, passed away. It is not clear when the death happened, but Harris, who was from North Mississippi, traveled the world going back to the 1980s and the early 1990s. Uh, and the WWF wrestling, The Undertaker wrestling Hulk Hogan, but of course, with many wrestlers over the years in the territory days, you had to start in Memphis or start in Florida. And for uh, you saw Kamala before he even became Kamala, he was Sugar Bear Harris in the Memphis area. He was Bad News Harris. He had a lot of different nicknames, but well known as Kamala, someone who. Came from Mississippi, born May of 1950. As I mentioned, he debuted in 1978 under the ring name Sugar Bear Harris and spent most of his early career in the southern United States. And he was managed by Percy Pringle. He was managed by Skander Akbar. He was really a very interesting character in wrestling and very, very unique. We can't forget how dominant uh, of a big man and how athletic Uh, that Kamala was as a wrestler. You see the guy coming out with the bald head and him slapping his tummy and um, supposedly from Uganda. And of course, he's just from, you know, Coldwater, Mississippi for the most part, right? And so it's an interesting story of how he became Kamala. A lot of this came from Jerry the King Lawler and Lawler's going to tell that story momentarily. But you think about how Kamala traveled in his early years with Memphis, wrestling in Continental in 82, when he wrestled for Continental Championship Wrestling and uh, wrestled uh, in Tennessee and Alabama, went to Mid-South and wrestled for uh, Bill Watts during that time, the Bill Watts promotion, uh, wrestled Andre the Giant in April of 1983, before the body slam heard around the world when Hulk Hogan body slammed Andre the Giant It was Kamala, and that's a GIF now that's on social media. You can find that anywhere on Twitter now. You can see the full body slam from Kamala uh, on Andre the Giant. And, you know, actually, when you think about it, 
I've seen many films where Andre was slammed and slammed easily before it was like this impossible thing to slam Andre the Giant. Yeah, it, Kamala did it uh, back in 1983. I remember the first time I saw Kamala, and that was in world-class championship wrestling in the mid-80s, wrestling for uh, Fritz von Erich in world-class championship wrestling in the Dallas territory. And he's a guy here that uh, challenged Harley Race for the world championship. He took on the Von Erichs. He faced the great Kabuki. He, he was the first time I saw him. I said, "Boy, well, this is interesting. Look at how this guy's got two stars on his over his chest. He's got a moon on his stomach, and he looks like he is from." the jungles of Uganda. It was a terrific gimmick. We talk about The Undertaker, and I still believe The Undertaker is the best gimmick, uh, long-lasting gimmick in the history of the business, especially in the modern day. But Kamala has got to be in that same conversation because Kamala scared people. Many people thought that he was from the jungle and that he had a handler named Kim Chi that used to have the mask and the little uh, Panama hat on. And there was always that third person. It could have been any manager. He had so many different managers. I named a few of them, but he had a few managers. He was managed by J.J. Dillon at one point. Um, He was managed by a number of people. But depending on the territory... Kamala just cannot roll out there by himself because if you're depicting him as this wild guy out of the jungle, someone has to handle him. And if it's not kimchi, he's got to be a manager. Um, also, Kamala was in the World Wrestling Federation for a while. He was managed by Freddie Blassie there uh, during that time. And there was a time where just Kamala was running right through opponents, right up to his match uh, against Hulk Hogan. And Hogan loved working with um, Kamala because this is what Hogan loved. Hogan loved to be able to bump and feed for big guys. And so he was able to make his comeback against big guys, slam them, put the big leg, drop on them, one, two, three. And Hogan made a lot of money. Can't say that Kamala made a lot of money during that time. You know, it just... Uh, it's a sad story that we'll hear throughout this podcast about Kamala, about how someone was a draw where people believed in Kamala. However, he was not paid properly in a lot of territories because he didn't. It's not because he didn't handle his money. It's because he got the short shrift many times than not when it comes to payoffs. And this is why he was a globetrotter going from territory to territory. After leaving the WWF, he spent some time in the NWA. He was in all Japan pro wrestling. He was in Montreal and international wrestling. Uh, He traveled the world and was a huge attraction for sure in wrestling. And someone with a long lasting gimmick in which he would not speak on camera, always had a manager and it just made him unique. He wrestled for the USWA for a while and feuding with Kerry Von Erich and Michael Hayes. And um, back in 88 to 92, he had a uh, two or three runs with Vince in the WWE. And, and so um, he, it's just sad to see him pass away and just there's some frustration from me when it comes to Kamala, not about him, but just how his life ended. So many times where you see Vince McMahon and the WWE take care of their own wrestlers that wrestle at a high level, wrestlers that really need care, whether it's from drug abuse, whether it is financial uh, help when it comes to their medical bills, I guess uh, I guess Vince did not do enough or did not do a lot 
uh, for Kamala. And Kamala talks about that long form and a number of shoot interviews he had before he passed away. But let's go back in time. Uh, there were so many squash matches that Kamala had to lead into big matches he had. How about going back to the Universal Wrestling Federation when uh, Kamala worked for Bill Watts uh, in the UWF Mid-South Territory? Kamala was really, really dominant. He had a lot of great matches over the years. What about against Hacksaw Jim Duggan back in Mid-South? That was a big-time rivalry because Jim Duggan turns babyface. He's against Skander Akbar's Devastation Incorporated. And Kamala, of course, a big part of Devastation Incorporated during that time.
love me some vintage Jim Ross from Mid-South in UWF. You hear just how special, how into it Jim Ross is, a younger Jim Ross back during that day. Man, that hooked me to Jim Ross. When we started getting UWF in the Chicagoland area through the syndicated television and to watch UWF TV and how the fans were kind of like watching a college football game, the pageantry of like a college basketball game, the fans into it. That was great stuff just to hear just Jim Ross just selling and just telling the story about Jim Duggan against Kamala with Skander Akbar in the corner. There's plenty of those matches, by the way, because that was a real interesting rivalry between the two uh, during that time. Jerry the King Lawler, the King of Memphis, who was part of some great angles and great moments in Memphis wrestling history. And of course, the King, that is a WWE Hall of Famer, but before his time in the WWE, he was just a tremendous performer and a great promoter from Memphis. Uh, he was on the Steve Austin podcast talking about Kamala, ribbing Kamala, and talking about uh, creating the Kamala gimmick. Let's go back and hear from the King uh, talking to Steve Austin about this. Uh, I don't know if you remember, I was notorious for having a, a little portable, like a blue light uh, that I would put up on my dashboard. And I would, <laughs> I would, if ever I would see some, you know, one of the other wrestlers that were, uh, uh, that were past me or whatever, uh, I would, or I would pass them, I would pull off at like the next exit and then, you know, watch as they went by and I'd just beat them behind them and turn this blue light on and then, you know, and, and, and at night keep my brights on and the blue light on the dashboard and they'd tell them, I'd lean out, you know, shout, okay, get out of here, put your hands on your head and face the front of your car. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've walked up and frisked the guys and everything. <laughs> Goose them or something like that. One night, Kamala was the funniest story ever. He was, you know, he was kind of new in the business. and he had, I just wrestled against him up in Nashville. And uh, <laughs> I pulled him over about halfway down to Memphis and pulled him off on the side of the interstate. And, he, and he's standing there on the, on, the, on the interstate, big old Kamala with his hands on top of his head. And I, so I'm up behind him and I said, Okay, raise your right foot up in the air. He's <laughs> standing there on one leg with his hands on top of his head. I said, okay, now jump up and down. <laughs> and finally he turns around and looks and he goes, oh, Jerry. <laughs> hey, you know what? I was down. I, I was just fixing to get into business. I was playing football at North Texas State University outside of Dallas. I'd go up, watch a Friday night show at the Sportatorium. I'd go to the Saturday morning television tape and, and you know all of a sudden here comes Kamala the Ugandan giant and y'all did uh, these vignettes 
videos of him. And these were shot in Hendersonville, right there on Jerry Jarrett's property, right? Yeah, it looked like it was Africa, didn't it? It did, but break down how Kamala was created, because that was a great gimmick. And people bought into Kamala, man, because, man, when he come down with that hand strike, that was a real deal. Yeah, it was. Well, I'll tell you what. It was one one Monday night. We were having wrestling at the Mid South Coliseum, and I remember you know we'd stand in the back. The guys the, the guys could stand in the back and watch from around the corner, watch the matches that were going on out there in the, in the arena, and all the wrestlers would come in this one back entrance. And I'm standing there watching the matches, and all of a sudden I got a tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and there's this big black guy, big tall guy, and uh, uh, he said, uh, "Mr. Lawler, my name's uh, Sugar Bear Harris." I live down here in Senatobia, Mississippi, and he said, I wanted to come up here and wrestle for you guys some if I could. And I just, I don't know what happened. I just looked at him and I said, has anybody seen you yet here tonight? Have you been walking around? No, sir, just come in the back door. (laughs) I said, would you go right around there and sit down in my dressing room? Don't let anybody see you. So he goes back there. I called him. I went and got Jerry Jarrett. He and I went back there and, and, and looked at him. And... I, I swear, it's, it's, there, there was this artist named Frank Frazetta who did these great fantasy paintings. And I, as soon as I saw this guy, this painting came to my mind. There's this famous painting where this beautiful girl is tied to a stake and a bunch of these cannibals are like, and they're about to burn her at the stake. And a bunch of these cannibals were all day doing this like crazy war dance around this girl. That's this painting, right? And that just came to my mind. And, and so I told Jerry, I said, man... I could paint this guy up. He could look terrific. So we told him to be in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Jerry Jerry had a 100-acre farm up there in Hendersonville. We took him up there the next day. I pulled out a National Geographic. And if you remember, and the reason it was hot was at the time, the president of Uganda was Idi Amin. Mm. And he was a cannibal. He was a confessed cannibal. Wow. And this guy was the president of Uganda. And that was in the news all over the place. And so that's why it made it topical. And we, I looked at some pictures. I brought that paint, uh, that picture of that painting that Frank Rosetta had done. And I painted uh, Kamala's face. I painted James Harris's face up just like one of those uh, cannibals in that picture. And we looked into the map of Uganda in National Geographic. And Kamala was actually a name of a city in uh, in the country of Uganda. Mm. And so that's where we came up with the name, literally honed a spear out of a stick and put a wooden point on the end of it and uh, put this old loincloth on him, took him out in, in, in Jerry's back uh, on some acreage back there and got a couple of pieces of dry ice and threw him out in this kind of little swampy lake that Jerry had. And we we put James out there and, and, and turned the cameras on and had him come walking through the smoke. And it looked like, I mean, it literally looked like he was in, you know, an African uh, giant that was coming walking towards the screen. And it just, it was just one of those things that... Uh, it just clicked, man. We we called up and had J.J. Dillon, who was not, you know, had not ever been in our territory because we didn't want to, we wanted to make him so totally different. So we had J.J. Dillon cut a promo. We explained it to him, and he cut a promo saying that he had found this savage beast while doing touring the world, and he was going to bring him to the United States, and his first stop was going to be Memphis, Tennessee. And, and, and like you said, at the time, man, if you did things right, People bought into it, and they believed that this guy was a was a giant African 
uh, cannibal that was being released every time he set foot in the ring, and and and, and he couldn't have he couldn't have worked more perfectly. I mean, we had to keep it simple. So that's right. where the chops came in, all the chops and the slapping himself on the stomach, and 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 he didn't do much more than that. And to bite you, you know, you bite you, and suddenly next thing you know, you're bleeding. And uh, I, I, I watched some of the tapes of he and I having that first match, and it was just it, it was like magic. I mean, you know, he started biting my head, I start bleeding. He would touch my head with his fingers and and start licking the blood off his fingers and and it was just you know it was really it really looked exactly like what we told the people he was you know i remember that first uh when y'all did that first video i mean there was like a 20 or 30 second clip y'all sent out it was like showed him walking just like you said and whoever did the voiceover is basically like kamala the ugandan giant (laughs) kamala that was it Yep. I was like, I gotta see this son of a bitch. This son of a bitch is crazy looking. Whose idea was it? Was the moon and the stars on him? That was that was all. That all came from the painting. It was great. Uh, that Frank was at. I'll show you sometimes. That Frank was at. Later on, became friends with him. He was one of the greatest artists of all time. But uh, uh, anyway, it, it, that was just the way that the the guy was body was decorated in that painting. And it's a funny story. I for for months I would every night I would paint Kamala. I would do his face and all the paint on him down in the locker room beforehand, you know. And I would paint those stars and the big the, the crescent moon on his stomach and yellow and the stars on his pecs were white and the funny story one night after about three or four months of painting James and you'd have to know him he, I mean, he, he was just a big old teddy bear actually that's what he used to wrestle in before Kamali wrestled with Sugar Bear Harris but anyway he, he just kept sitting there and I'd paint him up and he'd be patient and then he, one day finally after about three months he looked down and he said Jerry I want to ask you a question I said what's that James he said why did you paint a big banana on my stomach every night? <laughs> I said, James, it's not a banana. It's a, it's a crescent moon. He went, oh, okay. <laughs> <sighs> no, James, it's not a banana. It's a crescent moon. He thought he's getting ribbed every night by Jerry Lawler. Thought he was getting ribbed and it's like no it's it's not a banana it's a it's a moon <laughs> that's a hell of a story jerry the king lawler a big part of the start for the greatness that is kamala and i don't think there's any question that he was one of the all-time great big men to ever wrestle in the business and he's also a wrestler that didn't necessarily have to be a champion i know that might be out there for the modern fan wondering how come Kamala was never the World Heavyweight Champion, how come he didn't beat uh, Hulk Hogan in the WWF, or how come he didn't win more regional championships. He didn't have to. As a matter of fact, in his debut in Memphis, he beat Jerry Lawler the first time for the Southern Heavyweight Champion, if I'm not mistaken, the, the Southern Heavyweight Championship, because it's a full Mid-South Coliseum. It's sold out. And all those that build up about Kamala taking on Jerry Lawler and Kamala just beat Lawler quickly in that match. And like the whole crowd just like, wow, he is something special. Uh, so Jerry's a big part of Kamala and his career. So here's the thing that is so interesting about Kamala. Besides him being this massive dude that kept a gimmick going for a long time in his career, going back to uh, the late 70s into, gosh, 2005, I suppose. The thing is that the man never talked, never spoke. 
But of course, when he retired, he had a lot to say. As a matter of fact, as we do this podcast, you can open up a tab and look for KamalaSpeaks.com. He had a book and he had a lot of things to say that you're going to hear on this podcast. It was interesting to hear Kamala speak for the first time. He was on Power Trip Wrestling not too long ago and talked about his start in Memphis with Jerry Lawler. Listen to the words of Kamala. When Jerry Lawler came up to me with the gimmick, and he asked me, he said, how would you like to make more money than you ever made in your life? Well, I've heard that a few times, so you don't ever know which time it would be. So I told him, I said, yeah. So he said, well, I'll tell you what I want you to do is go on back home right now. I was at the Memphis Mid-South College singing Sam. And he said, go on back home, and uh, I'm going to give you a call, and I want you to come to Hendersonville, Tennessee. I said, well, all right. So anyway, he gave me a call. I wasn't looking for him to call, so he gave me a call, and I went to Hendersonville, Tennessee, to Jerry Jerry's house. So it was me, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Jared, and Bill Dundee was there at Jerry Jerry's house. So uh, Lawler asked me, he said, would you mind shaving your mustache off? I said, no, because, you know, if I don't like the gimmick, it'll grow back. So I shaved it off, and he uh, started painting my face, and uh, he made the skirt from it, and I still have that skirt, the very first skirt. Oh, and, wow. uh, yeah, 1982. So anyway, he started painting my face, and after he finished, and then he made the steer, and he told me, say, uh, I take a look in the mirror and see how you like this here. I looked in the mirror and it was, it was shocking, but they didn't know I loved it. And I told them, they said, you're going to be embarrassed to wear it? I said, no, I'm not going to be embarrassed. So anyway, we went out and made our little video up there at Jerry Jerry. And he said, uh, you'll be wrestling me Monday night, but we're going to show it on TV um, Saturday live and we get to that Coliseum that Coliseum was sold out and I made $600 that was more than I had ever made in one night so anyway I really did I ran for the whole week and I got a check for 2500 Oh, man, that was making money to me then. So it it didn't last long, but I moved around from territory to territory. Great story there from Kamala talking to the two-man Power Trip podcast. Uh, and they do a great job on interviews that they've had in the past. And uh, it's really good to hear from Kamala talk about, wow, how much money he made that week in that Memphis territory uh, and going from territory to territory, as we documented earlier. I like the funny side of Kamala. I like the funny side of Kamala. Have you seen some of these outtakes on YouTube when Kamala's in the WWF with the late Mean Gene Okerlund? 
he, he, these are funny. Friday. I wonder if you could get him to put this. I know. Is that, that means I missed interviews in St. Louis. Right. Isn't that what that means, Friday? That, that he missed interviews in St. Louis? When he should have been there, it was on the booking sheet. He missed interviews. <laughs> come here. No, I'm not kidding. Come here, Friday. Come here. Come on in here. Friday, uh, you're kayfabe. Come here. Right, sure. You speak of the language. Uh, Kamala, what's this shit about uh, you missing uh, interviews in St. Louis? I want I want an honest answer here. I'm going to confront you. I'm just like, uh, what's his name, Walter Cron Cron Cronkite. Uh, I don't speak English, and I can't read English, so I missed the interview. Yeah, well, that, uh, I thought we had it, though. It was written up uh, in Swahili by James Barnett. I thought you would have got that goddamn message. This is ridiculous. When you're supposed to be in St. Louis for interviews, what the hell are you doing sitting on your ass in some goddamn hotel over in Ipswich, Illinois? Uh, I do a little funky funky. Oh, okay. That's very good. That's that's real good. Okay. Good. Yes. We're going to be right back after this. Thank you, Kamala. <laughs> I have to like some outtakes. Uh, that never made air, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. I love that stuff. Great stuff. Kamala, breaking character. Of course, that never aired, but you see these outtakes uh, on YouTube, which are pretty funny. What about Kamala reading the newspaper with Gene Okerlund? This is a quick one. Pencil? Pencil, yeah, that's big. Uh, I don't know if I'd uh, buy a lot of those. They may not be selling. You got any tips for me here? Any special stock I should be looking at? Uh, can I say hi tomorrow? How long? Not bad. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this Kamala is just a bundle of laughs. By God, he's done it all. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun to hear from Kamala. Just fun stuff on YouTube. Check some of that stuff out. Just lighthearted stuff with uh, Gene Okerlund and Kamala. And a lot of those outtakes is Nikolai Volkoff's on here. G, let's see, Greg the Hammer Valentine. I see a list of them right here. Just fun stuff, uh, outtakes. But to hear Kamala speak and have fun and smile, that that's that was interesting. Jim Cornette on his podcast, the Cornette Drive Through, recently on episode one fifty one, was talking about Kamala. That is uh, some of Jim's memories of Kamala in the business of wrestling. Let's hear from. The longtime manager of the Midnight Express and former Smoky Mountain wrestling promoter and, of course, controversial podcaster, Mr. Jim Cornette. Kamala. Kam Wait a minute. I'll say it like Michael St. John did. Kamala, the Ugandan giant. That was one of the greatest gimmicks of all time. And uh, Kamala himself was a great guy and deserved that success. Um We've told the story before, but I'll, I'll gloss over the high points. Sugar Bear Harris was a rotten wrestler. He was a big guy and was a rotten wrestler. And he was in a business for a few years and, and worked mostly, you know, the outlaw group for the Culkins in Mississippi, down there with Troy Hippie Graham, soon to become the Dream Machine, and the Freebirds when they were teenagers. And, you know, he'd had a couple of spots in different places. And finally, they used him one night in Memphis because he was he was living in, in the Memphis area. He was from Mississippi and he needed a job. And 
Jerry Jarrett booked him and because he's like, ah, look at that big guy there, you know. And then he got the report, according to Jerry, he got the report. I don't know if it was Eddie Marlin or Jerry Lawler, whoever said, this guy looks like he's never wrestled before. He just the shits. But Jarrett and Lawler, they remembered him. They knew who he was and they thought of something. Well, what if we make a gimmick out of a guy that never has wrestled before? Because look how big he is and he's impressive and he, you know, he's a nice guy. So they came up with the idea of Kamala, the Ugandan giant, that not Jimmy Hart, the, re- the area manager, but J.J. Dillon from Florida, a top manager in the magazine, somebody that people didn't know well there in Memphis, would sign this Ugandan savage and bring him to the United States as King Kong, right? And Lawler fucking every night before the goddamn match, Lawler, it became a rib after a while because the Lawler did the paint job on Kamala. You know, all the fucking, the moons and the stars and the fucking, you know, the whole native paint. And it got to be quite fucking, you know, time consuming, but... Lawler paint him up. They had Buddy Wayne put the, the, the Friday outfit, the beekeeper outfit on to be his handler because J.J. only made the, the big towns flying up from Florida. And that fucking mask, and he was goddamn fearsome. And they did the, uh, the video in Jerry Jarrett's backyard in Hendersonville of Kamala coming out of the jungle. And they did the thing they did with Zulu where they fucking started on his feet and panned all the way up and saw saw that he was a giant, six foot six, 340 pounds. Kamala, wilder than the beasts of the jungle was the voiceover. And it worked. And because the first night in, he wrestles Jerry Lawler for the Southern title and beats Lawler clean in the fucking middle. And once he beat Lawler, the people are, holy shit, and flat, not a fuck, as I recall. Then, by reverse booking, they started him the next week with Bobby Fulton. He started with the the lowest guy on the totem pole, and then he went from Bobby Fulton to Stan to Roy Rogers, then to Stan Lane, then to Steve Kern, then to Dutch Mantell, then to Bill Dundee, and beat every single babyface on the roster to the rematch with Lawler, and then Lawler beat him. And through that summer, they'd had three months of nothing but business with Kamala, but once that they beat him, then they fucking sent him to Mid-South Wrestling because they knew also the part of the attraction was that you can't beat this guy. Once you beat him and they've seen it, then they know he can be beat. Then that takes something off of it. So they created a gimmick with a guy that needed a job. That was a nice guy, but that was rotten in his previous presentation and fucking built a main event, a main event fucking gimmick and a guy by using a top manager and by using all the other talent that was over and, and, by the proper booking of shocking the people first and then giving him a bunch of wins to make him look invincible and then Lawler finally gets even and then send him down to a bigger territory where he can do the same thing and he's got more people to work with. And then you saw Andre and Kamala and fucking, you know, all of the the Mid-South guys and Kamala. And they, they he got a, a great run there and then went to, did he go from there straight to Dallas, right? Yeah, he had a great run in Mid-South. Mid-South may actually be his best run in terms of the yeah. way he was used because they had him with the top guys. He body-slammed Andre the Giant on Mid-South TV, not even in like an arena show, on TV yeah. at the Irish Big Boys Club. 
he just slammed Andre the Giant, setting up those series of matches. And then he went to Dallas, where he was used on top right away. Yeah, so, you know, you took a guy, same guy, he had never drawn a dime, changed the look, changed the presentation, and book him into being a star. And as long as he's visually impressive and then can carry it off, then you had it made his career. And then he goes from Dallas, then he's, you know, uh, uh, he's on Vince's radar and he gets a run up there. And, you know, it was a, a, one of the great gimmicks of all time, and, and nobody else could have done it like that because he embraced it. And the fucking, you know, the, the, the stomach slap and everything, and I, I always called him Ooga Booga. Every time I say, hello, Ooga Booga, he goes, Ooga Booga. You know, he, just a great guy. Do you think it's overstated that he couldn't wrestle? That's why they gave him the gimmick. I mean, he'd wrestled in no. England. No. Because really? he'd been in, like, World of Sport and stuff. I don't care. <laughs> I saw Sugar Bear Harris. He was in England for, he couldn't do any of that world of sports shit. He was because he was a six foot six, 340 pound black American guy that looked fucking huge and impressive, but he wasn't doing all that shit with them. They were doing his shit. They were doing big man shit. You ought to say, and that was one of the things they said. It looked like he'd never thrown a punch before because he couldn't, he could knock you out as a man for real, but he couldn't throw a working punch. So that's why they say Kamala, you know, fucking man-eating cannibals don't throw punches. They throw chops. Everybody knows that. And he started doing the Baba chops. And that worked. And then and, and he'd do this shit where we, the first time he went to cover a guy, he covered the guy while the guy was laying on his stomach because he didn't understand the principle. And it, just, it, it fucking worked. But no, there was no, no fucking way that Sugar Bear Harris would have ever been a top wrestler in any sizable territory. The words from Jim Cornette and Brian Last on the Jim Cornette's drive-through. And so he gives his thoughts uh, about uh, Kamala. And I agree with his assessment how great the gimmick was for Kamala. You know, it's interesting. You would think that Kamala would be a once-in-a-lifetime thing, like Andre the Giant, once-in-a-lifetime, Hulk Hogan, once-in-a-lifetime, Ultimate Warrior. You would just think that you would just see that gimmick once. But there are other smaller promotions, territorial promotions, they are trying to have their own version of Kamala. Uh, Kamala sat down with MWFProWrestling.com, the MWF Project, and... Kamala, in his version of his shoot interview, talked about that, talked about the Botswana Beast, who I remember from the Wild West wrestling days uh, in Dallas. Uh, they had that gimmick. I think I saw Botswana Beast uh, in another book. And then there was like a Kamala 2 electric boogaloo. No, there was a Kamala 2 that was in some territories. So uh, Kamala talks about this in this interview. And also... Says something I had never heard before regarding Abdul the Butcher. Abdul the Butcher is a WWE Hall of Famer, which who had never worked for Vince. Very strange, strange enough. Um, but Abdul the Butcher, who was very famous in Japan and Puerto Rico, and also just a terror uh, during the territory days. Um, apparently, Kamala has some not so nice things to say about Abdul the Butcher as far as Abdullah uh, as a. African-Canadian keeping other black wrestlers out of Japan. Some thoughts from Kamala. Let me ask you this. 
man by the name of Ben Peacock yeah. took on the gimmick of Kamala too, similar to what happened with Stan Frazier. What yeah. did you think of that? Did he ask you ahead of time if he could take the gimmick on? Or? No. Uh, he didn't ask me, but we worked together uh, in the Texas, te Texas territory as Kamala and the Botswana Beast. Mm -hmm. Beast. But he would paint himself up the same as me. Mm -hmm. And I, I got a little hot with him about doing that, but uh, it, it was okay. I told him, I said, go ahead and make your million dollar with it if you can. But I'm going to tell you who changed the name to uh, Kamala 2. This big, fat, funk-ass Abdullah the Butcher. I, 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 don't, I don't care a lot about Abdullah the Butcher because he had kept blacks out of Japan for years, and he still do. Now he done had his old he done had his run with his old big fat funk ass and I tell him that to his face. I just get along with him when we own shows because they are not my shows. And uh um, you know, I, I don't want a bad rep towards right. promoters. You know. And and I wanna go when I go out of this business, I wanna go out with a, a good name and not a name where I done kept other people from making a living. Mm -hmm. And Abdullah the Butcher is the one that gave Ben Peacock the name of uh, Kamala too took him to Japan and uh, you know and used him because he didn't make a lot of money in Japan. I know exactly what he made. Uh, I mean Ben Peacock didn't, cause uh, Abdullah the Butcher when he takes people to Japan, Japan, he takes their money. He takes uh, uh, a certain percentage of their money, about fifteen percent of their money, I think. For getting them booked. Yeah, for getting them booked. Yeah, and uh, now I don't like Abdullah for that. He done asked me about coming down to his restaurant, but I don't want none of his funk-ass ribs. <laughs> Hell, I can buy me some damn ribs from somewhere else. But uh, Abdullah ain't did nothing all his life but just fucked up the blacks and keep them from coming into Japan. Now, he'll take some, he'll take whites there, too, but they're going to be under him, but he, he don't have no control on those guys. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it was. This is what I know for a fact. Now, how did you find out that Abdullah was keeping blacks out of Japan? Because in, uh, in 19... 1980, when I went to Germany, this English promoter had asked me about coming to England. And the Japanese, Baba was there mm -hmm. in Germany. And Baba had some of his guys to ask me about coming to Japan. Mm -hmm. I was booked in Japan. We had made our deal in 1980 for $1,500 a week mm -hmm. in 1980. And uh, they had gave my date and everything. Then some of the Japanese boys came to me and told me, said, oh, and they weren't lying. They said, uh, Abdullah Butcher, you don't go Japan. And they told me the whole story about how Abdullah been keeping blacks out of Japan. And I hadn't been in the business but uh, two years in. And I was talking to a lot of different guys after I got back to the States. And they told me, so, oh, yeah, so you'll learn a lot about Abdullah. So he been fucking people for years. Why do you think that he would do that? He want to be the only black over there. <coughs> Excuse me. I have, uh, but I, I went to Japan though. Mm -hmm. But he want to be the only black in Japan, and that way that'll give him more power, right. more uh, recognition, or however you might put it. And uh, uh, and he was over there in Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he used to tell Kamala too when he took him to Japan. He had full control over him. He tell him what to eat, what not to eat. He had Ben Peacock getting up, going to stores uh, in the middle of the night, bringing him food back. But see, he knew he couldn't do me that way. Right. Yeah. And so he told uh, uh, Ben Peacock, said, look, sir, we don't want to bring 
this black guy in and that black, we want to be the only two blacks in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he told him that. I mean, uh, Ben Peacock told him this. And he wasn't lying. Whew. Some real heat there between Abdul the Butcher and, and Kabbalah. How about Bruce Pritchard, who is a producer uh, with SmackDown and Raw uh, in 2020 with the WWE? What about what Bruce Pritchard, who's been around wrestling since the mid-70s, what does he think of Kamala for his babyface run uh, the second or maybe third time around he was in the WWE? I believe it was the early 90s, 92, uh, 93 during that time. What about Kamala the babyface? The audience was loving him. I mean, you know, he would do the... And the audience was getting behind him, so you want to help this poor bastard along, you know. He can't speak the language. He he can't afford shoes. (laughs) he's He's still painting his stomach and everything. I think that the audience just really kind of fell in love with the big lovable bastard. So it was it was difficult to it was just really difficult to boo him after a while. He had been around so long, they respected him and they really wanted to get behind him and cheer him, I think. The Ugandan giant Kamala passed away and he leaves a legacy of great Obstacles that he had to overcome in and out of the ring. A man who should have went to the WWE Hall of Fame and should have been inducted while he was alive. It did not happen. A man who lost both his legs uh, because of diabetes, because he was sick. And a number of places that I'm reading says that Kamala passed away because of COVID-19. He'll never be forgotten. Kamala, the Ugandan giant. He was a one of a kind, no matter if you saw Kamala 2 or Botswana Beast or whatever. There's only one Kamala, and people bought into the character. I certainly did as a fan in the early days. See someone, it looks like he's from Africa, and it didn't matter that he had five or six moves, the chop and the kick and all those things. He was a physical big man. And I'll never forget Kamala. What a, a great character in the history of professional wrestling. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Again, at WrestlingTWT. And our show is not dead. I'm moving to Morning Drive on August 17th with David Kaplan for Cap and J-Hood. And the Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday show will live on on the ESPN Chicago app, as well as Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you download your podcast. Tell somebody that Jonathan Hood talks wrestling. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, every Tuesday uh, when it drops. Uh, I will leave you with uh, the thoughts, once again, from Kamala. Bleacher Report did a great um, retrospective of Kamala in his career. It's entitled The Rise and Fall of the Ugandan Giant Kamala. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. We got plenty to talk about for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday right here on the podcast. I never did dream of being a wrestler. I never did want to be a wrestler. And I had a few ups 
Lord knows how many downs. I never knew my father. He got killed in a dice game, shooting dice. No, I didn't graduate from school. I'm a ninth grade dropout. All the things I went through in wrestling wasn't worth me becoming a wrestler. Kamala came to the ring, the kids ran away from him. He scared him. People thought he may have been uh, uh, a dangerous man on the loose. I wanted to be a truck driver. I couldn't find a job. So I said, uh, I think I'm just going to go to rest. Oh, yeah, you the big guy. Yeah, I mean, you, you do good in the wrestling. They told me that wrestling was not real the day before I got in the ring. When I met Jerry Lawler, he said, look, how would you like to make more money than you ever made in your life? He told me, said, I got this gimmick for you. It's a big black guy from Uganda. <laughs> I've never been to Uganda. He gonna have his face painted, his lip painted. I made my stand in the ring and I had that big belly. He acted as if he was scared to death of me. He's the one that created me. And I don't want to create those chops. I just started doing those chops. Hi, y'all. Hi, y'all with those chops. I feel great. The way that people were screaming. Last Lawler with a right hand. Now he's on him. One, two, three. He beat him. The new Southern heavyweight champ. That was the birth of Kamala. <laughs> Six feet, nine inches, 385 pounds of Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Working with Andre back in 1982, and we got in the ring. I did what they told me. It was a mix-up problem with the referee. And that's when I nailed him. I was young, man, I didn't care how big. I took that 357 Magnum. He threw it up both hands. He said, I'm sorry, boy. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, I don't think. I don't think, boss. And I said, well, MF, you better get the tinking from now on. I carried it for Andre. I carried it for up until after Andre died. And he whipped in at the 15-minute mark. And down goes Kamala. One, two, and that's going to be it. Well, I think I could uh, make a good case for Kamala being in the Hall of Fame, not only because he had the... Uh, uh, the very memorable and lucrative run with uh, Hulk Hogan, but because he was one of those guys who drew money literally everywhere he went. Kamala coming off the ropes, look out, big splash. It could be all right here now. Hogan told me one time, I hope you're getting your money because I'm getting mine. Because you putting asses on the seat. Hulk Hogan wrestled Kamala for six months, but Hulk made the money. Earth and warrior was making a killing 